Hello and welcome to this episode of Radio Free HPC. This is the show where we talk about supercomputing, high-performance computing, and other tech topics. I'm Dan Olds, joined as always by our co-hosts, Henry Newman from Seagate Government Solutions, Shaheen Khan from Orion X, and Jesse Lanham, our millennial standout co-host. Now let's get to the show. Hey everybody, we have a special breaking news edition of Radio Free HPC. We're going to be covering the new NVIDIA A100. With me as always, we have Jesse down in California. How you doing, Jesse? I'm doing okay. How are you, Dan? I'm good. We've got uh, Shaheen Khan down in the valley. What's up, Shaheen? I'm here. I'm here. And we've got Henry Newman speaking from his compound in Las Cruces. How you doing, Henry? I'm doing well. Thanks, Dan. Uh, are the builders and everybody talking about this new uh, GPU? Actually, no one here is talking about but five hours north of here, I'm sure it's it's uh, yeah. right for discussion. <laughs> yes. <laughs> is it yes. five hours away? Uh, it's, well, Sandia is three. Los Alamos is uh, five. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So let's jump into this. There are a lot of new things in this brand new processor. It does a lot of stuff. A new behemoth. A new behemoth. And let's just, uh, why don't I just rattle off some of the big advances in this so far. It has more than 54 billion transistors, which is a lot. That's two and a half times more than the V100 before it. 54 billion transistors. It's using TSMC's 7 nanometer process, which is an improvement over the 12 and 16 nanometer processes used before. It, It runs at... 2.4 2.4 gigahertz of the memory clock, but uh, 1.4 gigahertz on the regular clock, the boost clock, which is a little bit slower than the 1.53 in the V100. Memory bandwidth has been jacked up a lot, 1.6 terabytes per second versus 900 gigabytes per second in the predecessor, and the bus width for the memory, so the memory uh, bus width is 5120 bits versus 40, 4096 bits. This is pretty cool. Memory bandwidth increasing is, is always huge, Dan, because every everybody or just about all problems are memory bandwidth constrained. Who was it that told me that, Henry? I think this is might have been you, but if you're doing HPC correctly, then memory bandwidth is the final wall you hit. It wasn't me. I don't know who it was, but someone else said that. Sounds like something you should say. Maybe yeah. you should start saying well, it. What I always say is the last balanced machine was the Cray YMP, which had full memory bandwidth to all the CPUs. Yes. Yes. And Gary Greider from Los Alamos agrees with you on that. Now, another thing where this thing has moved up is in power consumption. 400 watts versus 300 or 350 on the V100. That's going to be a that is a significant that's jump. That's going to be a problem because it takes a long time to build a data center. And my understanding, of at least a lot of the data centers, is you know 20 kb per rack. Yeah, mm. and that's already higher than it used to be. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. And so I'm thinking so this thing is going to be liquid cooled. Yeah, one of Dan's favorite subjects. Uh, unless you want half full racks, which kind of defeats the whole purpose for some things. Sort of does. But even after you do that, uh, your data center density also is a question, right? Yes. I don't think you can take an existing data center and just replace and fill it up with these racks. Uh, oh, yes, you can. You, you have to redo all your power. 
You can do. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You can do it. So you have to redo your power and cooling. You have to redo your power and cooling. Yeah, when you increase you increase your power by uh, almost, you know, what is it about 45, 50%, 40%? That's not quite that much. It's 25%. Okay, 25%. Oh, yeah, it's 350 to 400. It's not that bad. A little more than 25%. Yeah. Yeah. You increase your power by 25%, you, you've got to oftentimes redo things. Now, one of the things you could do is do uh, replace your PDUs and bring 400 DC right to the rack. That's what a lot of people are talking about doing. But if you're doing 28 kilowatts of pa- a rack, which is what you could with this thing, that's a that's more than 20 percent. But you know, there's more there's more to this than the power. Let's talk about the performance that this thing delivers. Yeah, well, I want to just give you my general impression of it. My general impression is that seven nanometers is a good thing, as AMD demonstrated already, and rode it to great heights and continues to do. And NVIDIA has always been good as they went from 16 nanometers to 12 with Volta, 16 with Pascal, 12 with Volta, and now 7 with Ampere. And that's where pretty much all the speed is coming from, in addition to some of the architectural work that they've done, which also is really cool. And I'm sure they've done things with the compilers and libraries. And then if you do your part with algorithms, you got the four horsemen of speed, Mm -hmm. fabrication technology, architecture compilers, libraries, and algorithms. So seven nanometers is good as number one. Number two, a lot more AI, a lot more modest with HPC, just reflecting the times. That AI is where the action is, and a lot is geared for AI in this chip. Big bet on their tensor cores really coming into vogue. But but I I go back to what I said in the pre-call, and there are things that could take advantage of this, and I, I know people are looking at it, in various weather organizations around the world, temperatures, pressures, mm-hmm. and velocities are can easily be sixteen, you know, sixteen ends for weather. Mm. And there are other things that people can rethink that parts of the problem could take advantage of this. I agree, and this thing will scream on lower precision. So you're saying that like it has application beyond AI if you look at it with yeah. more creative lens. Yes. Which is really funny because that's how this thing started getting used for computations to begin with, is mm-hmm. because you were, remember, the, the, before the GPU became a real GP GPU, we waited several years for it to provide 64-bit support because graphics applications didn't need it. Yep. They also didn't need a bunch of the error corrections and fault isolation and stuff like that, which more of a data center workload requires. Which all eventually got incorporated. Thank you. You remember the, the machine at the, with the cell processor at Los Alamos? Absolutely. Yes. Also UCSD. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and then, uh, but now fast forward to today, we are like saying, how can I get creative to use the 32-bit stuff, which was the early days of GPU was exactly that. And there are some applications you can do, but it's not just about the data type. It's also about the uh, quality of the computation and how and how nonlinear and how stiff the equations are, how chaotic the error propagation is. Well, you're going to have to measure performance for your workloads on a couple of different axes here. Mm-hmm. That For standard floating point workloads uh, in HPC today, it's offering about a 38 40% increase. But if your workloads can use the tensor cores, that's when you start to get into the, you know, two and a half X increase. You're in good luck. Yeah. 
So when you're yeah. looking at the difference between general performance versus tensor performance for GPUs, what are the key differences? Well, first of all, your applications have to be written to use right. the tensors, right? And that my understanding is that this changes the formula in terms of how much tensor support is supported in the hardware, that there's a lot more tensor cores than there were before in the V100. Right. It's, this, it's something like close to 6,912 FP32. Close to 6,912. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, just say, a rough <laughs> approximation. Sorry, I was going to say close to 7,000, but then I thought that's, you know, that's, why not just give the real number? Yeah. 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 Okay, solid. One of the real interesting things about this too is that the NV link goes up radically in terms of speed, to 600 gigabytes per second versus 300. That's very nice. They've done a great job with all the perimeter I.O. into and out of the thing. Uh, Jesse, what other thoughts you have on this? Okay, so one of the things that I was looking at that I thought was really neat, and I don't know if this is, this is a common thing, it was new to me, so I'm asking questions about it, is the multi-instance GPU mode. So, Very cool. yes, so this allows the, the new Ampere GPU to run seven jobs in parallel, according to NVIDIA's specs. So yep. what are some instances in which this feature would be incredibly helpful? Oh, boy, there's a lot, but it's first uh, multi-users, right? Mm -hmm. I think it's for cloud users. So if you're a cloud provider, and it, this, this means two things to me. A, as you all know, I've been looking for data that says just how utilized are these GPUs. And... Sometimes I think the fact that you can do seven of them, maybe that means that they're on average only seven to 10% utilized. So now you can divide them up into seven and still take advantage of all, but I think it's more than that. So I think the fact that they can partition the GPUs into seven and guarantee performance for each of those partitions mm -hmm. allows mm -hmm. a cloud provider to get better utilization from the chip while guaranteeing performance for more users. And I would argue the same thing is true in data centers as well. Absolutely. In fact, the whole it's cloud be a higher utilization overall. Yeah, the whole cloud business model rests on the idea that you're not using the whole server. Mm -hmm. So you might as well share it with others and pull the workloads into a whole server consolidation thing that you did n years ago. Yeah. Mm, okay. But but that's a good feature to pick out, um, uh, Jesse. I think it's a very smart feature, and it's a feature that the cloud providers will love. Right, and that sort of tracks yes. with some of the stuff we've been talking about too. Is you know not just for quarantine, but the upward trend of, of more cloud utilization for HPC and for computing in general. Yeah, but it's just another way to uh, push up utilization for what's going to be a very expensive mm -hmm. part. I think. Yeah, and I know they call it virtualization, but it is actually more partitioning. Yeah, because they're providing some level of fault isolation and application isolation. And that's critical in a cloud environment because you don't want your neighbor to be able to see your data sets. And, and there are security implications yeah. with that. And I think the other thing you hit, hit the nail on the head was that, you know, the bandwidth is about 2.8 memory bandwidth to the bandwidth of the of the NVLink. 2.8 times more memory bandwidth plus the latency difference. So packing these things in as few uh, is the best way to go. Yeah, I like that a lot. Uh, the other thing is that uh, they've done some things f with sparse data sets. Yes, that's also very nicely done. Yeah, compression is always a big deal. And it's, it's, since they're doing compression in hardware rather than doing it in software, it, makes, it means that it can make a huge 
difference for for uh, for sparse data sets. And there are a lot of sparse data sets out there. Yeah, absolutely. So Jesse, you brought this up too, and it 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 is especially true in AI because when you put all these neural nets together and you create your layers and the number of nodes and all the coefficients and these giant matrices, it is then then becomes possible to say, well, what if I removed some of these nodes? What if some of these coefficients were zero? Can I readjust others to get to similar accuracy? And turns out that you can, and there's a whole science to, to go do that. And the fact that they, in hardware, eliminate some of those coefficients and shrink the size of those matrices allows them to be way faster. So also recognizing that matrix multiply is a order n cubed operation. When you shrink it a little bit, the benefits is more than what you shrunk. Yes. And that's going to show up in the numbers. I want to see what an HPCG runs like on this. Oh, that would be a very good one to see. Yeah. I'd love to see that. Well, this has been great stuff. Uh, We're just giving an overview today of what struck us. We will be back with more information as it comes out from NVIDIA and from other sources. want to thank you all for listening today. If you have any comments, drop us an email at podcast at radiofreehpc.com or shoot us a tweet at radiofreehpc.com. Stay safe out there, everybody, and we will talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Radio Free HPC. And as a quick note, the views and opinions of Henry Newman are his and do not reflect any policy or position of Seagate Government Solutions or Seagate Technology. Thank you for listening.